We're back. We're here for Let's Talk About God. Let's talk about God. Man, living in some wild times right now, not going to lie. A little depressed. Yes, and we can remind our readers that... Listeners. I mean, yeah, listeners, thank you. See, we're so thrown right now because of the times we're in. we got corona brain. That's corona brain. Um, we record these a month earlier than when you hear them. So we're in March right now, but these are being released in April. So for, for all those of, this, of you in the apocalypse right now. Yeah, for those of you who are there, you already know, as you're listening, you know the outcome of of the initial lockdown. <laughs> but our governor of South Carolina came on yesterday and um, – didn't make law, but encouraged, highly, strongly encouraged that that there not be meetings of more than 100 people, which affects a lot of churches that are bigger. Smaller churches, I guess, can still have church, but bigger churches mm-hmm. like ours, it affects us. And um, we had church yesterday, but we're not having church for the next few Sundays and having to do online. So it's just our whole world's kind of changed right now. You're thinking about church and all that. I'm just thinking about sports. The NFL is gone. Well, no, actually, the NFL didn't matter. But the coronavirus has infected Bill O'Brien's brain of the Houston Texans, and he just traded DeAndre Hopkins. He did. Nuke is, Nuke is he gone. He just traded the best wide receiver in the league. So that's why now I am specifically a college football fan and an XFL fan. And my team is the Houston Roughnecks. We went 5-0 and before Corona killed the league. And I'm just sticking with that because, I mean, how can, you, how can you pull for a franchise that trades away the best wide receiver in the league? Yeah, the best wide receiver. That's the former Corona. Clemson Tiger, yeah. too. That's what Corona has done to this world. We're making crazy decisions like trading wide receivers that don't need to be traded. It's it's upset everything. And, I mean, in April, our our, our listeners right now, are there. That's the weird thing about us doing this is you're already there a month later. Uh, we're still having to look and see how is this going to affect everything. We went to a restaurant today to eat, and instead of giving baskets with your food in it, the, the, the corporation said you have to put it all in a brown paper bag, like a to-go order. Yeah. And so we had to eat our food. We ate in the restaurant, but we had it in to-go style, which was just different because we eat at this restaurant a lot. So that was weird. It's just if we 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 were talking before the the podcast, everything just feels weird. It's just life's. They just canceled school for it's crazy man for the rest of March, and then you've got spring break. So effectively, the kids are out of school for three weeks. And again, we're already there in April, so who knows where what may be happening now? Might still be still be quarantined. Yeah, so what's going on? But that's the world we're here to talk about. God, who's in charge and in control of this world? Sure are. If I was king, I would force DeAndre Hopkins to go back on the Houston Texans, but I'm not. Turns out Jesus is king. Well, if I was king, I would obl- immediately by fiat obliterate the coronavirus, and this thing would be over. How can you obliterate if you're king? Well, I guess with like God power. Now we're talking. Well, you'd have to be a human king. Oh, if I was a human king, work it out that way. 
Oh, if I was a human king, uh, if I was a human king, the um, Houston Astros would have the 2017 World Series trophy taken from them because they cheated. That's good. And it would be given to my team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who were robbed That's good. of that title if I were king. That's smart. I'm having Wizard of Oz moments right here. If I, if I were king. You remember when the lion sang? It's been a, it's been a moment. Okay, that was a pretty good. I think that was a pretty good impersonation. <laughs> but today, that leads us into our conversation. He's cutting on, me off, folks, because he knows I'm, I'm about to go into my on, Lion King. Today, we're talking. Put we're up, talking about. Put him up. Today, we're talking about Jesus as King. We're just, <laughs> fellas, somebody, somebody, somebody pulled my tail. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as King. I wish Jesus would stop this you right know, now. Our listeners right now are laughing because they're like, "That is an awesome King line impersonation from the Wizard of Oz." Oh gosh, you don't, agree. Coleman? Can you cut that out? No, no, leave that in, Coleman. That's golden. That's golden. That's golden, Jerry. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Let's Talk About Podcast. Sorry for that abrasive cut there. Today we're talking about Jesus is King. Jesus is King, which we're really, really excited about. Um, That kind of concludes, or today will conclude, our series on Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. So if you've missed those last two, I want to encourage you, go back and listen um, to the episodes on Jesus as prophet and the episode on Jesus as king. Um, priest, priest, sorry. And today we're talking about Jesus is King, which I'm really, really excited about. I'm glad to have Dad back. Hate, hate that you missed our interview with Josh. Oh, but we I had hate a good that time. So much. I was really looking forward to that, especially talking about culture. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back. I got, uh, I got into the weather and it was right in the middle of the coronavirus scare. So I was Ooh. like, oh, I got indigest. I mean, it's just congestion, and I've got you know. Don't think it doesn't go through your mind, but it's the stuff I get every year. It's bronchitis, and so I'm on the tail end of it. I might hack once or twice on here in the show. If I do, forgive me. <laughs> so I apologize. It's good to be back. The good, good to be back. Business as usual. Um, so today we're talking about Jesus in the role or in the office as king. What's your 30-second definition of Jesus as king? Okay, so here's how I would define that. If we start thinking about Jesus as king, it would be his official authority to rule all things in heaven and on earth for the glory of God. That's good. Concise. Yeah. Short. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And all-encompassing. Yeah. Because I know we're going to break it down today as he rules everything and then ultimately the church, his people, maybe I should say. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's ruling all things in heaven and earth and ultimately for the glory of God. Yeah, I, I don't even think I'd, I think I completely agree with that. I think I'd word it that way. I think that's perfect. Um, so as we begin to focus on Jesus as king, kind of like we always do, um, and especially with these roles, I don't know if you've noticed a theme, if you've listened to the past um, couple of episodes, there's always an Old Testament background to these offices. So Jesus as priest is connected to Old Testament priests. Jesus as prophet, we connect to the Old Testament prophets. And the same thing with Jesus as king, we're going to connect it back to the Old Testament kingship and kingdom and authority. And we see Jesus actually fulfill that. And instead of it just being sort of a shadow or, you know, just sort of a 
uh, a type. Jesus is the reality of that. So when we look at kingship in the Old Testament, here's what we see. Um, we see a kingdom first being formed out of God's people. Because what happens is God rescues his people from Egypt, and then he sends them into a new land called the promised land, and he forms them into a kingdom. He calls them a nation. He gives them a law, so beginning with the Ten Commandments, and then actually giving them the law and you know Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And so we actually see a kingdom being formed, but the king really over that nation is God. That's a, a theocracy. A theocracy, right, yeah. So we see God actually being their ruler, ruling from the cloud. Moses was their spokesperson, but, you know, Jesus was their king. But then we go through this period of the judges, in which the judges rule, and Israel's just falling apart. I mean, they're just terrible. They, they're they just going down and down and down. As you read the book of Judges, it gets worse and worse and worse. And finally, after so long, the people say, we want a king. We want a human king. But they do it out of a bad heart. They want a king so that they can be like the other nations. And so God gives them Saul. And Saul, in every outward function, looks like he's going to be the perfect king. He's big. He's strong. Seems like he can take authority. All these different things. And Saul turns out to be a terrible, terrible king. He doesn't trust the Lord. God rejects him. And then finally, God gives us a king after his own heart, a man named David. And David is so important to the kingship we see in Jesus. Why does it, what is that sort of Saul-David comparison of their of their kingly roles and their kingship? How do we connect that to Jesus? How do we trace the lines back to that? Well, yeah, like you said, Saul was given to them by God. And Saul could have had a lineage. I think if Saul would have served God and lived right, I think God would have honored that, and he would have had a lineage. Mm-hmm. But Saul, we would say, backslid. Saul turned his back on God, rejected his faith. He had an outward form, but in his heart he didn't serve the Lord. And ultimately, sin always brings you down, and mm-hmm. that's what brought Saul down. Um, David uh, is, is of the tribe of Judah, and David begins a royal lineage. He begins it, so he's the start of it. And God promised him that this line or lineage would last forever. Mm. So the connection of the dots with Jesus is that even though, and I'm sure we'll get into this, there was a line of kings that came from David that ultimately the nation of Israel ended and David's line finished. There were no kings of Israel and yet time goes on, but there was still the lineage. And ultimately Jesus Christ comes from the lineage of David. That's good. That's really good. Um, I think it's interesting. It just kind of like you said that pre-fall, uh, not fall, but pre, um, you know, captivity and exile and all these different things. And after it, we do have prophets prophesying of a of a king, of a king from the line of David. And it's interesting that they take this king, this savior, this Messiah, and they speak about him very much in a supernatural way. And so, like, if if we look at Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied that a king would be born of a virgin, so that's not normal, and that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Well, that was my immediate thought. So you and I are in the same vein here. I thought about it, Isaiah 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Mm-hmm. So there's you you're talking about the supernatural, yeah. everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So it was seen not just as a as a unique individual, but as as a God individual. Isn't that crazy that yeah. you already had a God man concept? All those years ago, hundreds of years ago, Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years ago, and then of course the verse you're referring to is mm-hmm. that a virgin shall bear a son, and, uh, and of course his name shall be called Emmanuel. But, but can we touch on one thing too? You yeah. mentioned you already said the Messiah. That word's I think really critical to this concept of Christ as King or Jesus as King because uh, Messiah, Meshua in the Hebrew. And it is the same word for Christ or Christos in the mm-hmm. Greek. And, and Messiah and Christ are our English versions of it. They both mean the same. They're both the same word. Yeah. And they mean the same thing, anointed one. And, and we talked about prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil to enter and into their, their office. Yeah. Right. And so David was anointed by Samuel, okay, before he was king, and then and then every king after that was anointed with oil. The high priest was anointed with oil. Okay, prophets were. So it's interesting that Jesus is seen as the anointed one. Mm. And so when you say Jesus Christ, so we'll just talk practical today. When we like to say Jesus, Jesus Christ. So Christ isn't his last name? It's not his you last he's name. he's not Mr. Christ. Right, so people think that's <laughs> Jesus' last name. That's not Jesus' last name. But that is recognition. It's literally saying Jesus, the anointed one. And and so when you say that, you're saying that as the Messiah, the king, the one who would come to, to not only deliver from captivity physically, but to deliver from sin and to deliver from sin's mm-hmm. bondage. So he is seen as the anointed priest, the anointed prophet, and the anointed king. So... We use that term all the time. How many times do we talk about Christ? We say Christ, Christ, Christ mm-hmm. all the time. We're praising or singing or preaching or talk, but we really don't understand it. We need to get a hold of that. Is that He is Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah? That that and that really resonates with the Jewish people because mm-hmm. it's the Hebrew, but it's carried over for this new covenant. He is the the anointed King who comes to deliver us. <laughs> I'm going to tell on you for a second, but I remember like a few years ago, me, you, and Mom were in the car. And it was Christmas time, and this song came on. And in the middle of like the the bridge, the lyrics were "Christ the Messiah," like that. And you're like, "Why is he singing that? He's just saying the same thing." <laughs> and we're like, "Come on, like seriously." And you're like, "He's just saying the same thing." We're That's like, right. "Stop critiquing the song." But you're right; he is literally just saying the Anointed One, the Anointed One. That's right. Christ the Christ, Messiah, 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 Messiah. Yeah. yeah. Probably Jesus the, the Messiah would have been better. Yeah, it would have been more fitting. But yeah. That's I did not remember that. I'm so funny you brought that up. I, <laughs> you, I mean, because Christmas songs are replayed so much, I guarantee you this Christmas, if you're listening to like Christian radio, that song's coming on. I guarantee it. And he's going to say Christ the Messiah, and you're going to go, come on, man. Why are you saying that? That's right. Now you'll know. (laughs) But you're right. So Christ, the anointed one, just like you would anoint a king. And and we see this in other prophets. Isaiah talks about it. Micah prophesied that he'd be born in Bethlehem, um, but that his origins were from ancient times. So we continue to see that supernatural uh, effect there. Jeremiah and the other prophets cultivated the hope of a future anointed deliverer. 
And there we get back to David. He's going to be the righteous branch of Jesse. And so he's going to come from David's line. And then even after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC, you just mentioned this earlier, where um, you know we were promised this king from the line of David forever, that it almost seems like that promise ends because Israel goes in exile. They're, they're in captivity. There is no king anymore. And so if you're uh, an Israelite at that time, you're probably looking at God going, you're either going to have to supernaturally restore us or you're a liar. You haven't come through in your promises. And so we sort of see this tension. Is God going to show up in what he's promised? But he has. Even in those times, there's an anticipation of a divine warrior and king who would deliver God's people out of this exile. And specifically... Oh, go ahead. I'm um, sorry. Specifically in, in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, we see one like the Son of Man who will come and will crush the other competing kingdoms and rule forever in God's kingdom. So even in these moments of exile, we're seeing God display his authority, his rule, and that one like the Son of Man, Jesus uses that term Son of Man for himself, probably more than any, is going to come and set up his kingdom. Yes, that, and that Daniel passage is incredible because it is a prediction. You know, Daniel's uh, eschatological book, mm-hmm. uh, apocalyptic, apocalyptic in yeah. many ways, of course, but he he predicts and declares the coming of ultimately of Jesus Christ setting mm-hmm. up his kingdom. Um, I just thought it was interesting, and, and while you were talking, it made me think, and I went to it. You know, you were talking about it seemed like after that, lat, when the Jerusalem fell and the Israel went into Babylonian captivities, and now they're captivity, and now there is no king of Israel anymore. It's almost like, well, what? Wait a minute, God, you promised that David would have this line, and now Forever, it's ended. Yeah. Does that mean the Bible's wrong? And what I think is fascinating is when we get to the New Covenant, the New Testament, Evan, and you open up the first gospel, isn't it amazing that how you, you could have Mark, John, Luke, Matthew, or John, mm-hmm. Luke, Mark, Matthew, Mark, it, but the order is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay? And whoever picked that, I don't know. But you start with Matthew, and if you go to chapter 1, instead of going right into this story of Jesus like Mark does or Luke does, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mm. And then the very first thing Matthew does is beginning with Abraham he goes, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had, and it gets down, and then it gets to uh, uh, Jesse begot David the king, and then it goes through all these kings, and it goes to that point where there is no more king, but it tells us that the lineage continues. Even mm. though there are no more kings, they're still in that family line, and it takes you through, and it brings you down through all the way to a guy named Jacob who begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ mm. or Messiah or the anointed one. Wow. So isn't that cool? You know, the, the begots in Matthew, most people don't, they just almost want to skip them. But in light of what we're talking about today, God began with that in the Gospels to say, all right, let me show you the line didn't die out. When I make a promise, I keep the promise, and that promise has carried on. And yep, there's a king that's going to step back up again, except this time he's going to be the God man and the king of all.
That's wonderful. Yeah, I know. It's That's cool. awesome. And Matthew, that gospel's you know directed at more of a Jewish audience. So for us, we want to skip over it. For them reading that, I mean, you can imagine them going, oh my gosh, this makes sense. Yes. Like we get this now. Yeah, it helps us to understand that Jesus was more than a man. Exactly. He was the Messiah. Well, let's look actually in the New Testament and see this this theme of kingship in Jesus' own life and in his ministry uh, when Jesus is born, the Magi come, and they said that they've come looking for the one who has been born, King of the Jews. And so even at Jesus' birth, when he's just an infant, he's just a baby, there's already this hopeful expectation that a king has been born in the midst of captivity. Kind of like you mentioned with the genealogies, even Luke traces Jesus back. He even traces him farther back to Adam, that Christ has come to be the king over all of humanity. Um, and, and then we begin to see all these other different areas in which Jesus is a king. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the crowd actually wanted to crown him king right then and there. And he had to resist and, and, and run from them. Now, they may not have been doing it. They may have out of, you know, this is the Christ. This is the Savior. This is the one that was promised to us. Or they may have just said, this dude's filling our stomachs. Let's make him a king. I, I think that's the reason why. And Jesus even said that to him. Yeah. He said, the only reason you're coming to me is because I, I, I fed you. But even in reality, when we look at the spiritual principle behind this, Jesus is deserving to be a king, but not because he feeds our stomachs, but he feeds our souls. He's the bread that's come down from heaven. And so the analogy even fits. Um, Bartimaeus was blind but he was spiritually perceptive to who Jesus is. So Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, the place where the king rules, and he shouts this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when he says son of David, Bartimaeus knows what he's talking about. This is the one who has come from King David's line, the promised one, the anointed one, come to save us. Yeah, you just couldn't say that about anybody. No, no. I mean, there was... <laughs> Just, that's not a phrase you would use. For if you used it, it it would have to literally mean you were part of the lineage of King David. Exactly. And then finally, we see Jesus as a humble king. He marches into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is where the king of the Jews rules. It's you know, it's Zion's the city of David. It's interesting. He comes riding in on an animal in this sort of kingly procession, but he's on a donkey because he's humble. The people begin shouting, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." even the king of Israel. Yeah, and this recording is coming out in April, which is the month we have Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And and so that really fits, is that they hailed him as king. Mm-hmm. And by the way, um, here's a little side note. Uh, in, in that time... Uh, kings would ride a horse when they went into battle, but they would ride a donkey when they would come in peace. Mm. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yes. So if a king went into battle and he was going to create war, he would be on a horse. But if a, but if a king came in on a donkey, so if the king ever came into your town on a donkey, you don't have to. You, you would know, go. Brace. Yeah. Okay, we're okay. He's not here to execute vengeance against us or attack us. But boy, mm-hmm. if he came on a horse, you knew he was prepared for war. And and it's interesting that that day Jesus came as a king saying, I have come not to 
bring destruction on sinful mankind, but I've come and keep peace as a prince of peace to bring salvation. Mm. Talk to us about um, the the rest of Jesus as King, specifically beginning here with his trial and and leading into his crucifixion and even his resurrection. In what ways does Jesus himself acknowledge himself to be the Savior, to be the King of the Jews? Well, when he was on trial, um, Pilate asked him, "Are you a king?" And I just love his response. He said, "You say it." <laughs> you know, you say it. Yeah. And uh, I just thought that was a crazy response. Is you know, is that that's what you're saying? You know, or is that is that what you're saying to me? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Or and Pilate's like, what are, you, what are you doing? You know, I'm asking you, and Jesus is like asking, no, I'm asking you. Am I king? It's, Jesus always puts it back on us, mm-hmm. and um, and and he Pilate said, "Don't you know I've got the power to? I can either kill you, or I can release you." And he said, "You don't. The only power you have is a power, basically, that's been given to you from above, which would basically be saying, I may be a man in front of you, but I'm still God, and the only power you have is from God. Exactly. It's just amazing. He's still operating as the more superior one, mm-hmm. even with it unnerved Pilate." And, you know, people were usually intimidated from Pilate, would be begging for their lives, would be making excuses. Jesus stood stood there and didn't say a word, didn't have to say anything. And it unnerved Pilate because he thought, this is not, this isn't how normal criminals act in front of me. I don't get this. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, then Jesus said, uh, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. That was a pretty strong statement. He told that to the high priest yes, who, he, would, who would understand what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He said that's, that yeah. to the high priest. Yeah, thank you for correcting me there. And uh, that, that boy, now that just stirred up a stink. You're right, because first he was on trial, and, and they asked him if he was the King of the Jews, if he was the Messiah. And that was always the thing. And they didn't believe he was a Messiah. Mm-hmm. And they only asked him because they wanted him to say it, and then they could c- accuse him of blasphemy. And that's why he's like, you say that I Right, am. <laughs> and then he's saying, you said thing, you know, you're saying it. Uh, but I think at that point he admitted it. Yeah. And and then he just went ahead and said, you know, this is going to lock my death. This is my death sentence when I answer this. And he answered it, and he said, I am. And he said, you're going to see the Son of Man coming. Well, that just really sent him over the edge mm-hmm. because they saw him as a man. They couldn't see him as the God-man. And so then, when he gets before Pilate, as we said, it's the same thing, and 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 he and you know he, Pilate just couldn't fathom. I and mean, you know he asked him, he said, "Are you a king?" He said, "Look, if I were a king on this earth, my subjects would come fight for me, but I'm from above. I'm not from this earth." And all of that kind of talk, Pilate never heard that from anybody, and it unnerved him. Yeah. It unnerved him. It it Pilate, and at that point, he's like, "Okay, this guy, he may be demented." But he's not a threat, and Pilate really wanted to let him go. And I, so I think there was a part of Pilate that injustice wanted to let him go, mm-hmm. but I think there was a part of Pilate that he saw, okay, this guy, there's something about this guy. I, you know, he and he. I think he sensed that the the divine side of him, yeah, and and the authority that Jesus was uh, the King, you know. And then when they put him on the cross. It's interesting. It must have had enough effect that Pilate had a sign put up, King of the Jews. This is the King of the Jews and, and, it, and all three languages, Hebrew, Greek, yeah. and Latin. So Pilate gives him recognition and glory, mm-hmm. whether he meant to or not. And everybody that passed by that day saw the Son of God hanging on the cross, but he, he was a suffering servant, and yet he was proclaimed 
as the conquering king. And it's interesting. They said, no, we want you to write on the sign. He said, I am the king of the Jews. And right. Pilate said, I've written what I've written. What I've written, I've written. And yeah. I think it's, it's, it's cool, too, to look at you know Jesus being put on the cross. They put a crown of, crown thorns, of thorns on him. They yep. mocked him as you know being a fake king. When they put a robe on his a hand, on and a scepter, yeah. in his, a robe on his back, and a scepter in his hand, and mocked him. But in reality, it really was an enthronement ceremony in the sense that he was going to battle. He defeats our sin and our death, and when he gets done with it, he goes into glory and actually sits on the throne. But they didn't realize, like, Jesus was establishing the kingdom. Well, and just we're talking about his death and and how he's the triumphal entry, Mm -hmm. and then he's the king, you know, he's called the king, they accuse of being king, he says, I'm a king, Um, they put the crown of thorns, all these things. He dies and then comes back to life and goes back to heaven, and it is repeated. We talk about this in some of the episodes. It'll come up because it's it's repeated several times mm-hmm. in the New Testament. It is important that anytime you talk about where is Jesus located now, it is always stated he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, well, then that means he is seated there as the king. Yeah. He is the ascended, exalted king seated on a throne in heaven. Mm. Isn't that powerful? It is powerful. Now, here's where maybe we can break down this distinction that we began to to talk about earlier. We know Jesus obviously has always been divine. He's always had his divine nature. So how did Jesus become crowned king and then ascend to authority and kingship if he's always been God, or are we speaking of two different um, ways of Jesus ruling, that he rules the whole world and the earth and everything in it, and then when we see through his uh, you know, death, resurrection, ascension, maybe the ruling of the kingdom of God? Are we going to make that? Are we making that distinction? Yeah, and I think theologians do. Theology does this. Systematic theology does this, where there's the concept where that Jesus rules because he is God, he is sovereign. Mm-hmm. So we could do a whole thing on the sovereignty of God, but we're not, we're not going down that road particularly. I know we're focusing on the role of Jesus, but he is, <clears throat> excuse me. He is, <clears throat> he is Lord overall. Always has been, always will so be. So God's in control. Yeah. God is in control. He's in control of the universe. And, and he is not spatially located. No. Not in his divine nature. No. He's not technically seated anywhere because he's omnipresent. He fills all in all. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like to mess with people's head and say reality is God. I mean, if God fills everything, then all reality, reality may not be God, but reality exists within God. If God doesn't exist, nothing exists. Outside of him. Outside of him in right. any way. Right. We're not saying every, we're not saying pantheism or no, something. No, this isn't pantheism <laughs> by no stretch of imagination. But the point is, you're right. It isn't that God sits, even though we use these terms and the Bible does to help us understand him in his role, but but he is in all, overall, mm-hmm. Lord of all. Yeah. And so he is in charge and in control of the entire universe. Mm-hmm. That in itself is comforting, gets you through anything. But he is also, so he's the king, but he is also the king over his people. And even that, Evan, gets divided um, 
is in the in Israel's economy because he is the son of David. Um, and we're going to get ahead of ourselves, but I don't. Th- I think it's okay since we're going to go down this line. Um, in the in the, in the millennial reign, there is the throne of David, and and there is a there is a theology that says that in the economy of Israel, Israel will be restored as a nation. Um, it, it will have that glory like it did under Solomon, except it won't be under Solomon. It'll be under Jesus that Jerusalem will be the world's capital, that Jesus will rule and reign from there, that David, the resurrected King David, will be a co-regent with Christ over the nation of Israel. Hmm. So there's that vein of thought, okay? We don't talk a lot about that, but if you were a Messianic Jew, a, a Jewish believer, that would be pretty exciting to think that there is finally the Messiah will be. Yeah. Because see, he will. The Messiah has to rule and reign. Because there are so many prophecies over Israel, like you just said, through the Old Testament, there's a Messiah. See, we think about it in terms of the church, but there is still an—God restores his economy with Israel in the seventh, the 70th week, Daniel's 70th week, which is the week of the tribulation period. So God restores his economy with Israel, and so he begins to work with them again. And then part of the millennial reign is that there is that— you know, Jesus told, if I remember, he told the, the, the 12 apostles that they would be, there would be some involvement there in that, sitting on thrones mm-hmm. with me, okay? So he's ruling there, but then he's also ruling the church. So let's get away from that eschatological moment in the future, come back into now. He is the king of every believer now, mm-hmm. okay? So he is ruling now, not just everything, but he's ruling and being in charge and in control, but he's ruling in his reign is in our hearts. So when you're in sin, sin is in control. Sin is your Lord. Satan is your master. But when Jesus saves you and frees you, the sin goes and Jesus comes in and he becomes the king. And it's interesting getting back to that Christ, uh, you know, way of speaking about him as the anointed one, that when we specifically talk about the kingdom of heaven, he is anointed king. In a way, he becomes king over the here and the already and not yet kingdom of heaven. He is anointed king, like you were talking about earlier. Excuse me, he's always been king of all, but then he becomes king over this kingdom of heaven and validates his own kingly authority. You know, Isaiah says, you know, the Lord's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, Psalm 45, 7 says, You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. I believe Hebrews quotes that. Um, you know, we see Jesus being anointed as king. I would say even, um, I, I've heard this kind of in his baptism. Jesus shows up, is baptized, and in a sense, he's anointed. And then he says, this is my, you know, this is my son and who I am well pleased. Jesus comes and becomes king over this kingdom of heaven for us. Well, I think and we did it. reigns over us. Yes, yes, excuse me. And didn't we did an episode on the kingdom of God. We did, yeah. And so these coincide. You may want to go mm-hmm. back and listen to that if you if you haven't heard it. But there's a there's a part of this that G- Jesus is the king. There like there is a spiritual kingdom mm-hmm. right now. So let's talk about that. We there there will be a like you said the kingdom that is but will be. So now it's spiritual. Eventually it will become literal. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was talking about, the thousand-year reign and even into all eternity, future. 
but there is a spiritual kingdom now. Jesus said to the disciples, I confer upon you a kingdom. The way you you become part of this kingdom or this rule of Jesus in your life is through repentance, okay? Uh, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus preached, John the Baptist preached. Unless a man is born again, he cannot even see or enter the kingdom of heaven. So be, the new birth, regeneration, repentance, what we would call being saved is how you get out of the kingdom of sin and Satan and you get under the rule, the lordship, the rulership of Jesus Christ. You become, it's weird. And, and when you get saved, you become his subject, you become his servant, and you become his child. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And so you're all that. And so you're the child of a king. And you're also made to be a priest and a king with him. Yeah. Now and in eternity. So we share in his, we're co regents in a sense now in the spiritual kingdom. That's why we can take authority over the devil. That's why we can do the things that Jesus did. That's why we're his ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. We're his vice regents, like his, we were supposed to be in the garden. Like in the garden. So that's been restored. Now, you've got this thing called the church, and a lot of people think the church is the kingdom of heaven. But I don't think that's I don't think that's a fair comparison. I think the church is part of the kingdom of heaven. Because there will come a time when the church age will end. But the kingdom of God, so I think they're running together. All right, so does that make sense? The church age is working now within the kingdom of God. Okay. They work together, all right? So so you have this thing that never existed before called the church. Mm-hmm. But there was always the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven before the church was born, you know, at the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So see, he was he was the king. He was ruling and reigning. But then the church was born. The church is the vehicle through which the kingdom of God is expressed and the kingdom of God goes forward and operates mm-hmm. right now within yeah. the church, okay? and But the day will come when the church age will end. I think the rapture and the resurrection ends the church age, okay? And when that ends, then Daniel's 70th week kicks in and God picks back up with his economy with Israel, and then the millennial reign comes, and then it's a whole brand new thing where you have the church on earth ruling and reigning. with, And so it's sort of not about church anymore. And even the kingdom of Israel, I think that whole thing going on, ultimately it all comes together under just the rulership of Jesus Christ. Mm. It, it all consummates at that moment. But you've had these parallel things that have been going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and so you that's where the church, we're part of the kingdom of God and so it's both present and future, but we operate uh, with the authority uh, of the king. So that's why I'm saying mm-hmm. in the church, we are part of the kingdom of God. We rule along with Jesus, not equally, but we, Jesus rules and works through us. We have responsibilities, you know, to like we said, to be his vice regents, to do his work here on earth. As image bearers. All right, so here's like here's an example. So this will make sense to people. The Great Commission, Jesus said, all power, and I think it's the word authority, if I remember, mm-hmm. exousia. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. That's the first thing he says. So he establishes his kingly authority. Do you see that? Yeah. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples. Not subjects, not servants. Don't go conquer and force them you know, we're going to yeah, conquer don't get them. Yeah, swords and an army together. No, he said, see, this is church work. 
Go therefore, preach the gospel, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe the things I've commanded you. So, so you see the correlation. Mm-hmm. I have all authority, and through that authority, I'm authorizing you. I'm empowering you so that you can go out as the church and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people can get out of sin and come under my rule and reign. So you can kind of mm. see the, how they even the Great Commission kind of carries both those thoughts with them. That's good. And I like how you said, I think you said this earlier, how Jesus becomes Lord of our lives. Then when we look at Jesus' kingship and his authority, that we are called to follow him. And the cool thing is, you know, in an earthly kingdom, a lot of times you, in an unhealthy way, fear the king. A lot of people may not even want to be like their king. The king may be a jerk and treats his servants really poorly and does whatever's best for himself and not for the country. Um, our our role here is to actually serve King Jesus, allow him to direct our lives, but we do that not through just fearful obedience, but actually following after his example. That Jesus is the best version of a king because he shows us with his life the way that we're supposed to live. And yet, he is our king. He is our authority. He is our master. And so we listen to his commandments, and we walk in obedience to him, just like we would have to walk in obedience to a king here on earth. Well, and he may be our older brother, but if you ever watch shows about kings and authorities or whatever, like they do this in England, like with Queen Elizabeth, you still, she's the queen. Mm. There's this holy tension between she's my mother, she's my sister, she's my sister-in-law, but yet you have to, you can't get too familiar with her. She's still her royal majesty. Yeah. You know, so there's this tension of we're family and yet I have to learn to give way when you're, and still respect you, that you Mm. might be my blood relative, but you're the queen of England. Because I've watched some of those some shows about that. And that's, that's kind of that tension that happens there. And I think it's the same thing as we have this, but it's not, it's a holy, wonderful tension. I wouldn't even call it a tension. It's just a balance where I'm, I'm a son of God, but he's still God. Yeah. And I have that holy reverence for him and yet I can love him and, and, and be close to him. And I think that's the way we should be with Jesus as, as we view him. Exactly. And I think a, a, another thing, another way that we can view Jesus is as our warrior king. And I love this picture. I, I read this uh, this Old Testament theology um, by a guy named Bruce Waltke, and he opened my eyes to something. He compares Joshua as almost like a prefigurement of a warrior king. Joshua was not a king. He was not the king of Israel. But he takes over from Moses as a younger guy, and he begins to lead Israel in battle and starts defeating all of God's enemies um, for the people, leading them in that. Then even when we see King David, King David is actually a warrior king, fighting all of these battles, killing the Philistines um, in, in all these kind of wars and different things. Well, now when we see Jesus come along, Jesus doesn't come with an army or a sword, but Jesus still fights our battles and is the one who wins the victory for us, except this time it's over Satan and it's over sin. Um, even the 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 proto you know evangelion the first gospel preached to Eve was you're going to have a son and he's going to come and he's going to crush the head of the serpent and so when we see Jesus come he's actually fighting a battle for us 
crushing the head of the certain serpent, defeating sin and death for us. We even get this picture in his earthly ministry. Jesus said that he has come to bind the strong man so that he can take what he has, referring to Satan. So Jesus has gone around casting demons out and healing people and raising the dead and, and overturning Satan's kingdom to establish his rule in his reign. And so he's fighting these dark forces, fighting sin and Satan, and he ultimately accomplishes this through sacrifice. It's it's upside down, it's backwards, but he dies and we have life in this beautiful, great exchange, but it ultimately is a victory. It is a battle, one that he wins. Makes me think of the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. When Aslan sacrifices himself and yet, the, you know, the king... The lion is the king exactly. of the jungle, and yet he sacrifices himself, but then comes back to life. And the whole the whole time, the enemy is celebrating. They think that they've taken him out. They think that they've destroyed him. They think that they've finally killed the king, and then he just comes back to life with that victory. And I think I think Satan's ignorant enough and stupid enough to probably have done the same thing. Yeah, I really think that he probably thought that he won. I think a lot of the church fathers thought that he thought that he won and was celebrating the whole time. And Jesus basically tricked them. You know, he tricked, he, Jesus basically tricked them into killing the author of life who had ultimately conquered death for everyone. Yep. And so G, G, or Jesus wins and Satan winds up just a defeated foe and he wins the victory on our behalf. And then now, I guess as we wind this thing up, we look to the future. So he's king now. But the day will come when he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. And I know there is a vein of thought that thinks that that's spiritual. Some people think we're in the millennial reign now, and they think it's spiritual and that Jesus is ruling. My theology, and so is many others who are conservative, not in the liberal group, I really believe there's a thousand years where literally Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be awesome because we are a royal priesthood. In Revelation 1, Jesus said that we would be priests and kings and rule and reign with him. Yeah, That he promised in, in either Revelation 2 or 3 to those who overcome that, that he would give us a rod of iron to rule the nations mm-hmm. that were, would, would be stubborn and resistant. So righteousness will prevail. Um, Jesus will rule this world. There'll be a one-world government, a theocracy again. Mm -hmm. And this time, though, instead of elected officials that are corrupt and and purely human, uh, every person in leadership will be put there by Christ and be a glorified saint. Wow. Can you imagine uh, no corruption in government? And if you sin, it will be dealt with immediately. It's going to be an unbelievable time. And, um, you know, Revelation 19, 6 says that um, Jesus will defeat all of his enemies eventually and that he'll be fully Lord on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mm. And, And we talk about that he's the King of Kings. And what that means is he is. He's greater than any king, any president. Uh, That's what Daniel saw when he saw the various world empires, the the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, even the Antichrist kingdom. But then this mountain, this rock comes down and crushes them all, and a mountain grows up. It's a kingdom that shall last forever, 
and it's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and he'll rule and reign forever. And I just think we need to throw this in there. I just kind of got two things to say. One, um, Paul said that there is coming a day when every knee shall bow, whether on earth, above the earth, or under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. There is coming a day when every person will declare that he is king, Mm. that he is king. And that's going to be quite a time, isn't it? It will be undeniable. Right now, people might blaspheme Jesus, say Jesus isn't even real, didn't didn't even exist, but the kingdom is coming in fullness one day. Like you said, everyone. Everyone will. will. And, and, you know, worse yet, Evan, is the people who say, oh, I know he's king, but you're not ruling my life. Don't Mm -hmm. tell me what to do. I'm living my own life. I'm the king of my life. I'm the head of my life. I'm in charge. I'm going to do what I want. And God says, okay, live in rebellion against me. Yeah. But you'll pay the price one day for all of eternity. Exactly. And uh, these people say, well, you know, you can live any way you want. When you die, you get to go to heaven. God will let you in. It's like if you're not going to serve him now and you don't (laughs) want him to be in charge for 60, 70 years, whatever you live in this life, why do you think he wants to take you into heaven and you're going to all of a sudden say, yeah, God, I'll do whatever, you. I'll do do whatever, whatever you, want. you want me to do for the, all, for the rest <laughs> of eternity, time without end. Come on. If you don't want him telling you what, you to, do, what, what to do now, mm-hmm. God says you don't, want me, you don't ever want me to do it. That's why what we do now is so important. Yeah. Here's what's so cool. We don't talk much about this. Uh, and I don't have the passages right in front of me, but they're there, and, and I apologize. But we learn that there is coming a day, and I think Paul deals with this in his his letters. There will be a day in, in the consummation of everything when death is destroyed and Satan is thrown in the lake of fire and and all the sinners have been judged, and unfortunately, God, this is so horrible, will be put into their place of punishment a devil's hell for eternity. Everything will be made new. And and that which was dis, that was corrupted and destroyed in the beginning will now be made new and renewed. Mm-hmm. That the Bible says that even Christ, who is the king, will place himself under the Father. And that is not because he is inferior or because the Father is superior. We've already determined that from, we always talk about episode one, don't we? We yeah. always go back to the Trinity. I always Our, go back to the first The one. very first one we did. <laughs> it's funny how that always comes back up, <laughs> is that they're all equal. But it's because of his role as king that at that point he, ha- he doesn't have to conquer anything anymore. Yeah, that specific kingdom right. is 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 overshadowed by God's authority overall. Overall, it now yeah. becomes that he is he is once again he's lord over all and everything will be placed under his feet. And Paul said we don't see everything placed under his feet at the moment. Mm-hmm. But he said the day will come when it will be and then God will be all in all. Mm. That's good. Isn't that powerful to just think there won't be any sin, tension, rebellion, anything out of sorts? Anything resisting, it'll all be gone, and God will just fill everything, and everybody, all of us who live will just say, we are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It'll be, it'll be perfection. It will. It's, it's amazing that God's kingdom and other, under his kingship, he's making everything right again. And so, you know, if I can encourage you, 
you know, if you're not living for Jesus, you make a terrible God. I know you might not think so. I don't even know why you're listening to this podcast, but you make a terrible God. But Jesus is a great king, a great God, and his kingdom is actually making everything right again. So when it's all said and done, everything messed up in this world is going to be finished. It's going to be over. Everything's going to be right, just like how he wanted it. Well, there is a thought that I've used for years. Um, My pastor, Bobby Johnson, taught me this when I was a young man. I learned it as a young pastor, and I'm trying now to carry it on with my church and people. One of the most comforting, reassuring thoughts is that God is in control. Mm -hmm. You can go through anything in this life, Evan. You can go through death, you know, somebody dying. You can go through tragedy. You can go through heartache. You can go through the coronavirus and what's happening, what has, has happened and what's happening now. Our listeners are in April the month of April, you can go through that. You can go through bad economies and you say, how do you keep your sanity and how do you keep hope and how do you keep faith and how do you stay positive and how do you stay optimistic is that you'll say, you know what, as bad as it is, God is in control. Mm-hmm. And if you can embrace that and make that part of your language, part of your life's concept, you can get through anything. It is amazing when you just say he is king, he's on the throne, everything's going to work out. God is in control. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Jesus is on the throne. We're going to make it through. It's going to be all right. Now let's all go play Jesus is King by Kanye West. There you go. The whole album. The whole album. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, learned a lot about Jesus is kingship. We hope you enjoyed this whole series of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. It was three months in the making, but um, we had a good time doing it, and it was fun um, sort of connecting our episodes loosely there. And and so I just want to encourage you, go ahead, give us a rating, give us a review on Apple, send this podcast to somebody that needs it. If you're still in quarantine, we don't know what's happening right now. You know, binge listen to all of these podcasts, send it to somebody that needs something to do because they've been trapped in their house for a couple of months now. I don't know. Hopefully this whole thing's over, but just send it to somebody who, um, who, who needs it and, and wants to grow in their relationship with God. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.